Welcome to today's edition of Daytime Dialogues. It's my great pleasure today to welcome Dr. Simcha Chesner to our program. Dr. Chesner made Aliyah more than 30 years ago and has been working in Israel in his field of training, obviously, as a psychologist, but even more specifically with children with ADHD, children with other learning challenges as well. He was the founder and chief psychologist of a schools in Israel that are known as B'nai Chayil, both a residential and a commuter school. He founded and was the executive director of the Matarad Jewish Therapeutic Boarding School for Teenagers, and currently is the executive director of the Israel Academy of Social and Emotional Learning. And what brought Dr. Chesner to my attention was a recent book that he published called Kosher ADHD. We all know the challenges that are out there, and it's going to be a lot of fun and informative also speaking with Dr. Chesner to hear his perspective. So thank you so very much for joining me today. Oh, it's great. Great that, great that I can join you overseas. Oh, yeah. said, I'm, a, I'm a few minutes outside of Azadow, which is, uh, you know, probably it's a lot warmer than it is in Chicago. A little bit, a little bit more exciting, let's say. So, uh, yeah. Um, let Let's just start right out, right, right with the topic. Why would you call a book kosher ADHD? Are you giving a health share to it, or is it talking about yeah, something else? Well, right. I, I, look, you know, it, the title expresses a phenomenon which um, I know exists. I know it exists because I've worked with it within the past 30 years and that is that if you are a religious family if you're trying to be torah observant and means you know we have things like shabbos and um learning torah and davening and all of these things are incredible challenges for the adhd child so many kids with adhd who grow up in religious homes and there's a new uh, a doctoral study just came out last year from Bar Ilan University that shows kids who grow up in religious homes, their chances of remaining in any way connected with any kind of religious institution after they get 18 years old, become 18, is very, very slim. ADHD kids get hit over the head a lot. And as a result, they tend to be high at risk to leave the Jewish tradition and the Jewish people. So is it the ADHD which causes them to leave, or is it because they weren't educated properly, taking it, taking into account that they had ADHD? Well, I think, you know, that it's really important to understand what that ADHD means both of those things. It's not only the biological fact. It's not something like, God forbid, a serious disease that a person is going to die from. I mean, you could live, you know, until 120, you can live fantastically with ADHD. Okay. But what's the problem? ADHD is what, uh, in, in, in psycholingo, we call it a, 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 uh, a biosocial disorder. And what this means is that on one hand, you have a basic biological predisposition. You know, some people are very calm. Some people are less calm. Some people need to, are, are jumping around or always moving and other people can sit still for hours. Um, but how that biological disposition expresses itself is dependent upon the society that you live in. And unfortunately, in total society today, we are very um 
It's an inhospitable environment if you happen to have an ADHD temperament. You know, the rabbis don't like, and I know you're a rabbi of a synagogue, so, you know, I don't have a very important synagogue in Chicago. I don't want to, you know, uh, say anything that you're going to get angry at me with. But your rabbis don't like when in the middle of the sermon there's one kid that's, you know, bouncing around or hopping around or running up and down the aisle. I mean, that doesn't go over well. Sitting at a Shabbos table for the long meal, these kids are often, it's like, a torture chamber for them learning Gemara at three or four o'clock in the afternoon, five o'clock in the afternoon, in the evening, evening say it. I mean, you know, it's very hard. Long classes, the dual curriculum, all of the things that are part and parcel of a Torah observant Jew's life. If you have ADHD, these things become really, really up in front. And unless both parents and educators and neighbors and grandparents and adults themselves can know how to, you know, how to work with these things and how we can more mindfully accept them. We are unfortunately, unfortunately losing, um, you know, hundreds of thousands of Jews are just leaving because they cannot tolerate. It's torture for them to be within the Jewish environment. So what is the the solution? What is the, the secret to be able to keep them? Is it medication? Is it just being very patient? Is it a combination? Okay. Well, right. It, it's a combination of a lot of things. One, and, and what I really focus on in the book that I co-authored together with um, Dr. Sarah Markowitz, we co-authored this book and we focus on the idea that there's a tremendous amount that can be done if you're religious, you can do a lot that will be much more in sync with these kids, with their temperament, with how they are. It, you know, these children need structure. They live in a world of tohu vavohu. I mean, everything is chaos. You know, it's chaos. They have no time sense. They, they have uh, no sense of, you know, what's happening from today and tomorrow. They are. He just disappeared on my computer screen for a second. Um, and they, if we can kind of recognize their strengths and then play to their strengths, the fact of a, a halakhic structure around them, it could be great. I mean, it could be great. Unfortunately, we don't often don't pay to our play to their strengths because we get so angry and so frustrated with them that um, all they see us are these like nagging hags. They, they want that. So, so we, we prefer... let's take an example. You mentioned before the rabbi giving a drush on a shul. The sermon is being delivered. Everyone is supposed to sit nice and quietly. The child is jumping up and down in the seat. Right. Well, I'll tell you, like I, I say here to people in Israel, you know, when you're in the middle of a terror attack, all you can really do is put your head down and duck. I mean, the real question is, but what can you do? The, the first thing you, you, the real question is, what can you do to prevent the bad stuff from happening? You know, or to, when the bad stuff does happen, be ready to deal with it. In such a case, I would just say to all of, whether it's rabbis, teachers, parents, whether you're the rabbi giving the sermon in shul, or the parent at the Shabbos table, or the parent who takes his kid to shul, and the kid is, you know, running, you know, not sitting still, not wanting to look into the sinner. The first, and if I was going to say the most important step, is parents need to 
uh, through uh, uh, developing really deep level of mindfulness, parents got to stop getting angry at these kids. It's not their fault. Today, if you would ask a kid to read in front of the class, and you would, and you see the child has a problem reading the letters. So today we all know that, oh, look, he's dyslexic. And, you know, he's probably, it's not that he's stupid or lazy. He really has a neurological problem. When we realize that these children have a neurological temperament, which isn't suited for a lot of the expectations that we have in our society, and we keep on forcing them into that. So the first thing is we become angry but that anger is so misplaced. It's anger that is sitting on a giant pile of ignorance. And so if we're able to deal with the ignorance and say, the first step is to say, it is not his fault. He is acting based on how his brain is wired. And unless your brain is, if your brain is wired that way, you can understand this child really well. If your so, brain's not wired that way, you're in big trouble. I mean, you know. But what you're giving now is the advice on how we react. Is yes. Something you can advise, maybe not the child, but maybe the adult or maybe the parent of the child, of what they can do to help their child. Yeah. So listen, th th there's a lot of things that you can do. The first thing you can do is just as you can, you need to be aware of your own reactions the parent and the child needs to be aware of his, their own reactions too. When a child is having trouble, you know, it, it's easy to say to a kid, sit still. But, and some kids, many kids are able to sit still when you tell them to sit still. But if you, if you happen to have ADHD, sitting still might be exceedingly difficult for you. And for this kind of child, saying sit still, which is really a, if you will, it's a, it's a negative commandment. You know, mitzvah lotase, when you say sit still, you're saying don't move, okay? What you have to really think whenever you give a, a, a demand, an expectation to sit still, for example, well, why might that be hard for him? And then you ask him, is it hard for you to sit still? And he says, yeah, it's hard for me to sit still because the teacher's really boring. Um and then, he, you know, it's asking, well, what do you do? When you, what happens when you get bored? I start feeling my chest pounding. I start getting really angry, for example. If you can teach a child to be mindful, nobody, not even the most ADHD kid that I've ever known, nobody goes from zero to 100 instantly. There's always a process, you know, whether it's getting a little angry, feeling the blood rushing to your face, um, feeling your muscles tense, feeling your heart start beating. And the more you become aware of what is happening inside of you, the more you become capable of responding differently. And we have to teach these children to respond differently. So, or these adults to respond differently. So when the, so, you know, if we go back to the child in the, in the middle of shul, in the middle of the rabbi's sermon, bouncing around. So there we might want to ask the, you know, first of all, that the rabbi might be tempted to scream out and say, Mr. Cohen, can't you control your child? You know, or you, know, you can't, he cannot do that, which would not be effective for anything. Might be much more effective, you know, after, first of all, the rabbi thinking maybe there's a problem here. 
I have actually several rabbis I know who have read the book. Uh, one rabbi said to me recently of a, of a large synagogue in the New York, New York area, said, boy, he, ris- he wishes he would have read the book 20 years ago because he was thinking of all these kids running around his shul. And we have to, it's just not, it's, it's not equal. It's not equally easy for all people to sit. Some people can sit and not make noise and be, you know, it's okay. And for others, it's hard. So we need to, one, teach them how to sit better when they have to. And we also have to think of alternative things they can do rather than burning down the school building, you know, when they get angry and and stuff like that. So, yeah. Now, you know, growing up, there were always kids who used to be defined as they didn't have Zetzflesh. They couldn't sit still. Nowadays, we would probably say that they had had ADHD, but it seems to be something much more pervasive today than uh, 40 years ago. Is that true or it's just that we've become so aware of it that we identify it? No, I think think what's true is that the expectations to sit still, not move around, not have a lot of um, external uh, stimuli happening around you, that's become much more. I mean, when when we were kids, even, you know, (laughs) I mean, you know, I guess we are getting pretty old, but like when we were kids to see someone, you had to really see someone. You had to go, you know, usually get on your bicycle and go over to your friend's house. Or, I mean, you know, because talking on the phone was, was okay, but, you know, it's not the same thing. I mean, what we're doing right now in a podcast, uh, this would be unheard of when we were kids, right? I mean, you know, you couldn't see actually, actually interact. Today, if, you know, if I see here in Israel during recess time a lot of times the the yards is empty i mean you know it used to be that the ball fields were packed and kids are running like crazy and now most kids are sitting with their cell phones or tablets and you know playing games and so one there's a lot less physical activity which is one of the reasons we're all getting to be more obese you know because we tend to sit around a lot more um and and two, yeah, people, I think, are becoming more impulsive. The research seems to indicate that we are more impulsive today than we were 30 years ago, for example. That, you know, everything is instant today. Everything is instant, right? And so no one, you, you, if I'm understanding you correctly, no one has patience. And this we have less patience today. In other words, we're getting... You know, more powerful toys. <laughs> the world around us is getting smarter, the in- inanimate world, but we we seem to be getting a little bit dumber. You know what I mean? So it's like, you know, yes, in general, we are a society with a lot less patience than we used to have. And when you talk about the kids with ADHD, you're talking about the top, you know, 10% of the society. These people are more impulsive, more hyperactive, hyperactive, um, and less able to just keep their attention when the environment around them isn't very stimulating than the average kid is. And where does medication play a role? Oh, so medication affects, the medication that is most commonly given for ADHD is stimulant medication. And it was, this has been since like 1937, there was this pediatrician in the United States called Bradley was either a genius or a lunatic or maybe both. And he figured out that he could take these like extremely wild kids 
And he said, if I give them amphetamines, um, I will, they'll be able to control their behavior. Now, I don't know anyone who knows how Bradley was able to say that, but in, in the reality is that he did what he did and about 75% of the kids became well-behaved. We know today that when you take a stimulant, which I guess is similar to taking a strong cup of coffee, okay, because caffeine is also like a, a stimulant, and what it does is it speeds speeds up the activity in the frontal part of your brain, the frontal lobe of the brain. And when the frontal lobe of the brain is, is uh, functioning more uh, productively, more effectively, people have more ability to have self-control, more self-restraint, and um, the ability to inhibit their behaviors better. Now, with we see that adults with ADHD who had fMRI scans done, right, and they were able to see the actual functioning brain in real life time, we see that in people with ADHD, simply put, the frontal lobe of the brain is sleepy compared to the average person. And hence, it is harder to control and inhibit yourself. It's the way your brain is wired. The medication is a stimulant, which when it works, and it works in about 75% of the cases, um, it helps people uh, stop, look, and listen. It helps kids or adults to, uh, yeah. I, you know, I've dealt with kids for many years, and when they're on the medication, often they say that they don't feel well with it. It kind of puts them in a haze or a blur. Why would that happen? Yeah, well, you know, first of all, some people, many people who take the medication really don't feel well. They feel like nauseous or they feel uh, anxious or they feel depressed. And it's really important. You have to listen. But in most cases, the side effects are hang around for a couple of weeks and then they tend to go away. Now, what I've heard a lot of kids also say the exact same thing. And but what I've found out is a lot of kids have a hard time figuring out that being in more self-control is also who they are. I mean, they used to be that wild and crazy guy who doesn't care about consequences and so who does everything. And sometimes that feeling of, gee, I'm not myself. Well, you're not the self that you've gotten used to, which is where your brain is not really considering consequences. But you know, you are very, very much, um, you know, this is you. It, it, it can be you. If a person becomes zombied out, like too tranquilized by the drugs, he's probably being overdosed. Okay, but it's a good idea as part of the treatment to use drugs. But if the, you know, medication when they work, about 25% of the kids can't just tolerate them. They really do have very bad uh, side, physical side effects that are all short-term. I have not seen any long-term negative side effects from the use of this stuff. Um, they, they tend to be fast-acting drugs. They go in and out of your body pretty quickly. But um, what I would say is that unless the world around you is going to become compassionate 
sympathetic and aware. So the medication alone is never enough. It's never enough. I don't see one case where I find, you know, where without compassionate teachers and skilled teachers and parents who are really willing to invest more in in this child than just the regular child, that it it has a happy ending. And you've started schools specifically for children with learning challenges, um, behavioral yeah. and, and cognitive. Can you tell us a little bit about what brought you to starting up those kind of schools, especially residential schools? Yeah, look, I'll, I'll tell you like this. In an ideal world, we should be able to uh, accept these type of kids in the general system, you know, and integrate them and do, you know, integrative learning and differential education with these kids. Yeah, that would be great. But I found, and it was more acute in the Torah observant world, that there is a lot of bias people don't want to admit to it but there's a lot of bias against these kids and the more i studied it it just seemed to me that this is something almost built into our tradition you know i mean i don't have to teach you the 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 tanakh but you know the story of uh i I view the first time that we see adhd uh, in recorded history is the story of asav that you know when asav when esau buys the birthright from Yaakov. And we see from the beginning, you know, uh, Yaakov is an Ishtam, Yoshev Ohalim. He's, right, perfect guy, perfect kid, dweller of tents. And and Esav, Esau is described as an Ish Tzayid, Ish Sadeh, right? He, he knows uh, he's a hunter, a man of the fields. And then when he, when he comes to buy the birthright from Yaakov, the Torah describes it in an incredible way. I mean, that I just, you just read it, and I, I think you should jump out of your skin. It says, uh, when it describes what Esav does, it says, Vayochal, Vayesht, Vayakam, Vayelech, Vayivez, Esav, Eta Bechorah. It says, and he ate, and he drank, and he got up, and he left, and he despised the birthright. What you have there are five verbs, five consecutive verbs, one right after the other. Five verbs in, in consec- that are consecutive, one after the other. It's the only place in the entire Tanakh that you have that. There is not any other place. Once I think by Eliel Hanavi, there's four describing him. He also was a very active uh, type of guy, but of five verbs in a row. So the, the Torah is telling us something very clear here, that this is an impulsive personality. And I think that, you know, we, I mean, have come to love Jacob, Yaakov, Israel, and we've come to hate Esav. And I would not want your listeners on this podcast to walk away saying, well, I learned I have an Esav at home from, from this, because, you know, that won't do any good. But thank God we have one other Admoni in the Tanakh, right? The, the only other Admoni in the entire Tanakh is David HaMelech. That the first time that David appears in the book of Samuel, the book of Shmuel, David appears and Shmuel the Navi, the prophet, sees him. And what Shmuel the prophet says, says, Vayarehu Vihine Admoni. 
He's described as an admoni, the same term that was used to describe Esav, also as admoni. And what the Midrash on that Pasuk says is that, I mean, the Midrash doesn't say this, but it really describe it as he had a panic attack. But the Midrash says, you know, He is a murderer. You know, he says, how can, how can he make David a melech? The king, how can this guy be the king? Um, you know, don't forget that Yishai only brought him to be seen after he showed him his other seven sons. He didn't even think he was appropriate. But Asaph is also this character. And what we have to learn is to take this temperament and to, to direct it in a positive way so that it can be used for the service of God, for the service of a Kaddish Baruch Hu, to, 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 for all of the positive things that we're trying to raise our children to become. But we don't do that enough, and that's what kosher ADHD is about, is trying to teach parents, teachers, how they can raise and develop children to turn, that we shouldn't miss all the Davids that are out there. We got all these David Amelechs out there that I think we're losing so many of them today. And that, that's and the, children, and the children who are in your schools, the uh, the yeah. uh, Benetile schools, those children, the residential children, are they children with just learning issues or are there children also who have behavioral issues that cause They don't have behavioral issues because they don't have the, 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 they have the AD, the, and the boys, boys' schools in particular, so they, they tend to have the H also. They're pretty hyper and impulsive. Yeah, you know, it's really classes. The classes are shorter. The teachers are trained to offer alternatives. At any time you tell a child that he can't do something, you also have to tell him, okay, this is what you have to give him an alternative behavior that he can do. What can you do? So if you can't sit now, what can you do? I, you know, I, I was principal of the school for, for many years, and kids would often come up to me and say, Dr. Chesner, I'm, I'm going nuts. I can't sit now. I'm too, you know, too, I have too much happening on the inside. So I said to him, well, okay, so, so you don't have to go into class. I really don't care if you go into class or not. But what you, you do have to do something good over the next 45 minutes. And they were like, what do you mean do something good? I said, well, do something good, you know, to, to help the handyman paint the wall, help the kid in in, in grade lower than you, uh, you know, with work that you know that he doesn't work, whether it's math or English or whatever it happens to be. Um, teach somebody, teach one of the younger kids to play basketball. Do something good. I find that when parents start focusing on doing things good with their kids, the kids, feel, that's what the kids need because these kids don't get a lot of compliments. For many, many years, when I would do parent groups, now with kosher ADHD, we do these virtual parent groups. We have parents from all over the world who are sitting together. By, and I, I used to do the parent groups, um, you know, locally here in, in Jerusalem. And um, we would start them asking parents to say something good about your ADHD child. And it was silent. It took a long time before parents could start because they were so filled with all of the negative experiences um, from, from these kids. And that's what we're really trying to turn around, to turn around the negative, to fill it in with positive, and to teach people that it can be done in every single home, that no ADHD, ADHD child should be turned away from a Torah lifestyle. And if parents can learn how to do it, and if teachers can learn how to do it, and I believe they can, we would have, you know, well, we, we, we'd have probably like 10 million Jews in America today, as opposed to just the 6 million, because I think all of the ADHD people are, 
I don't know what they've become, but they're out there, but they're not coming to shul. And if people want to learn more about kosher ADHD, of course, they can order the book. It's uh, published by Kodesh. It's available right. on Amazon. It's available directly through Kodesh publi publishers. Uh, do you have other materials online for, for people? Yeah, for, we, we have a website. It's called kosher-adhd.com. And we have both um, films that are put up in, on the, in the blog section of the web, website. There is films and articles, and people can call us directly for consultations. We work with a lot of parents and with um, families, and we are always starting new parent groups. And yeah, the kosher web, the, the kosher ADHD website is probably the, the easiest way to get more information but mo most important thing i just want to leave parents and educators with the notion i mean this is you know not just changing lives it's literally saving lives i mean unfortunately I i've been over the past 30 years to a, a few funerals of kids who end up bad you know whether it's overdosing on drugs or just bad and um there's no need in in most cases we ought not get that far and, and we can do something about it just one one final one final question because our time is really almost up the children who graduate from B'nai Chayel where do they go afterwards well but the children who graduate from the schools that we have and schools like ours because we really set a trend now there's about I don't know about seven within the religious community is about seven eight different schools that are like it. And I just got an, actually an email uh, today that within the Haredi community, now there's Yeshiva Ketana for what they call Me'ut uh, Keshev, those who are challenged with attention. So, you know, the, the, the more ultra-Orthodox community is also recognizing that. In Israel, they first go into the army, which they love the first part of the army, which is the basic training, because that's, paradoxically, it's very structured. They like structure, which is why I think halacha and to, can be very good for them if we do it in the right way. They like structure when the results are tangible and immediate. They need that. So they go into the army, and then we find that once their self-esteem is, 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 they feel better about themselves, we, 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 have, uh, we have two doctors, and we have many lawyers, and we have we have uh, a, 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 few, a few of our graduates are mayors of cities. You know, I feel bad that, you know, people don't let me publicize what they are. But it is possible because these are usually talented people with a lot of energy. And if it can just be channeled in the right way, these people can can really do great things. Unfortunately, most kids who go through the regular school system end up feeling like two cents by the time they graduate and they're, they ain't doing good for themselves or nobody around them. So that's what we're trying to do. So on the positive note of all that can be done, I want to thank you so very, very much for your time today. I look forward to learning even more. And uh, Dr. Chesney, you should continue to be successful, continue to help children learn and children feel good about themselves and overcome challenges. Thank you Amen. so much. Thank you for having me. My pleasure. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.